0: Your man at home. The club is full of ballers and is full And now you leave
1: Welcome to what she said on 1059 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, we all knew it was coming, but it didn't soften the blow any when Roe v. Wade was overturned in the US last week. Women across Canada, myself included, turn to social media to voice their concern and support for American women. Social media, however, is not enough. Our support must be followed by action, which is why I have asked Samantha Krishnopali from On Canada Project to join me for today's show to share what we can do beyond the hashtag. Anne Brody is here with Entertainment, and this week we start with a look at two shows that will appeal to those that picked up gardening and baking during the pandemic. Gardener's World and The Great British Baking Show will help you hone your skills with real tips you can use at home. Anne also shares her thoughts on Neptune Frost, an Afrofuturist sci-fi musical produced by Bad Boy Ezra Miller and Lynn manuel Miranda. And she also has Apples, the feature debut of Greek director Christos Niko, plus much more over on WhatSheSaidTalk.com. Last May, Connie Walker came upon a story about her late father she'd never heard before. One night back in the late 1970s, while he was working as an officer in the Royal Mount Police and came face to face with a ghost from his past, a residential school priest. From there, Connie took a deep dive into her past and has now released Stolen, Surviving St. Michael's, a Spotify original podcast. Connie unearths how her family's story fits into one of Canada's darkest chapters, the residential school system, and joins me today to discuss. In March of 2020, travel writer Lauren Yakichuk found herself at home with a lot of time on her hands and decided to start hiking in Ontario. She then started a website called Ontario Hiking, where she hosts quarterly hiking challenges, group hiking trips, and where she has amassed a whopping 86,000 members in her Facebook community. Lauren joins me today to share five hiking spots you need to explore in Ontario this summer. Finally, money matters are on everyone's mind these days, and we are inundated with advice, which often makes it even more overwhelming. Stephanie Chabot from The Finance Diaries helps keep things simple for her followers. Stephanie helps make finance topics less scary by openly discussing them, sharing mistakes, and providing easy steps that anyone can follow to reach their financial goals. Stephanie is here to share just a little bit of her wisdom. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9. The region's jump Ladies leave your men at home. The club is full of bottles and your back is full grown. And now you fellas leave your go out of friends. Cause it's 11:30 in the club is jump. We all knew it was coming, but it didn't soften the blow any when Roe v. Wade was overturned in the U.S. last week. Women across Canada, myself included, turned to social media to voice her concern and support for American women. Beyond that, though, many were left scratching their heads on next steps. Samantha Krishnapale is the founder, executive director, and editor-in-chief of the On Canada project. On Canada project bridges information gaps to invite people into critical conversations about the future of our country and the world. I asked Samantha to join me today to share some actionable steps Canadian women can take to support and help American women, but to also ensure we protect our rights here. Welcome to the show, Samantha.
0: Um, thanks so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here.
1: To say so I'm gonna I'm gonna start with I mean my my listening audience may not know this, but I, I posted a um I posted a TikTok with some friends supporting, you know, uh, you know, it's it's a trend or it's now happening and it was meant to support and it went viral and it has like million views now it just went crazy viral and it was only after that that I realized I can't have 3 million people in my home to help also I cannot set up the critical infrastructure needed uh, to help all these women and so this is why I think it's so important that we yes post and support on social but we actually have to take actionable steps which is why I turn to you so let's start with a post you put on Instagram and some of the steps uh, that you you recommend people start to take.
0: There are some steps in it, but I think it was just more so trying to frame all the things that were coming up for me and my team. Um, uh, I'm a woman of color. Um, our team is a very racialized team and I mean and, and is very heavy with women. Like most of our team, our writers are all women and or identify as women. So I think like like you said, we all knew. That this was going to happen. And then what it did, it was like a sucker punch, like right in the womb, like straight there. It was it was a powerful sort of hit. And and I think even though we're in Canada, so many of us were like we can still, in theory, access an abortion. It was still really heavy to see what was happening in the States. And I think the first thing that we really wanted to make sure people knew and and most people do, but sometimes it helps to read that and get that sort of quote unquote permission is it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be in your feelings about this. It's also okay to make a video with your friends. We're going through something really difficult in watching women become like secondhand citizens or second tier citizens in the States. That's terrifying, especially as Canadians. We know that like our government and the way that we operate in this country often mimics or like follows and does the same sort of things as the States. When you see rights being challenged there, it does feel like, oh crap, like what about me? What about my rights? What about our sisters in like the States? You know, like what's going on here? And, you know, we really wanted people to feel like it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to unplug and, like, look away. It's okay, you know, to practice self-care in its truest form, which um, is, you know, self-care is a form of uh, political, like, like you s- reset when you take a self-care moment and, and then you come back and you're sort of ready to fight again. Um, and it's also okay to, like, switch focus into, like, what we should be reading right now instead of doom scrolling, and that's around, like, how to organize And how to to take next steps so we recommend what people reading take back the fight by nora loretto who's actually canadian um she also has a podcast so uh we also recommend people reading pedagogy of oppressed anything by bell hooks um because have got to start reading we've got to start organizing we've got to start um uh like getting ready to just to fight to protect our rights um In a in a massive, like,
1: movement type of way. I want to pause you there for one second, because you said something that, you know, was pointed out to me in the comment section of this TikTok repeatedly, and I had to pause and say, oh, yeah, right, because in Poland, this happened actually two years ago, and I've also learned since that Latina women uh, often struggle with, you know, obtaining abortion. So these are movements that do sweep across the globe. So... You know, it is important, I think, for Canadian women to recognize that it's not just in America that this has happened. It's happening around the world, and this is a real threat to our to our rights here at home, because these movements tend to catch fire, right? Hundred percent. And
0: I think also understanding that, like, um, fifty years ago, when the, when like the right lost Ro- Roe v. Wade, then Roe v. Wade became a law, um, or became like Legal in the States, the right was like, well, this sucks. Let's organize. And they've been organizing all this time while we have been just like celebrating the right to be able to access abortions, but not organizing to preserve it. And that's where like we have to recognize. And I think, especially for people of my generation who haven't seen people fight for women's rights in the same way that older generations. You know, might remember. You know, my mom didn't have the ability to work, or my mom might not have um, been able to vote. Um, I think for younger generations, you really see that like we have been afforded rights that we have now a responsibility to protect, and that's something that I think is really important. And I think the other sort of thought that we had around this is it's okay to have complicated feelings because um, you know you see in the states right now they they were called to cancel the Fourth of July um by a lot of white women because their rights are being challenged but we have to remember that the rights of marginalized communities have always been challenged and continue to be challenged so when you talk about like human rights and having access to things so many communities of color are disproportionately negatively impacted by so much of our systems and our, like even in Canada that we need to be careful of saying like you know now we've got to do this work it's more so like now we've got to invite like now as a white you know if you're a white woman now you've got to look for how to support and uplift these women who have been doing this fight all this time that your privilege allowed you to sort of like look past and that's not me like trying to attack white women it's it's more like an invitation like this is the moment to come together this is the moment to find black organizers queer organizers, um, indigenous organizers, and being like, yo, how can I fund what, have you, what you've already been working on? How can I support and amplify? Because a lot of these systems that exist already exist. And we have to be careful not to repeat work. And we have to be careful not to co-opt movements that have existed and predated this like awareness around Roe v. Wade right now.
1: Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break with Samantha Pale from On Canada Project. We'll be right back with more.
2: More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
1: Okay, we're back with Samantha Krishnapalli from On Canada Project. Samantha, I want to actually continue this conversation a little bit about why um, The Handmaid's Tale, people using this in protest and in social media is problematic for women of color and Indigenous women as well. Could you please expand on that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, that the urge to like compare to Handmaid's Tale is quite, um, like I feel it all the time. I think the, the issue and the reason why a lot of people are saying, like, don't use it is because um, the Gilead has, like, so many people, like, the, where The Handmaid's Tale is set in, but it has so many people of diverse backgrounds, but it really focuses in on Elizabeth Moss's character, June, who's a white woman and really ignores all of these, like, racialized experiences going on in the background, which I think is such a missed opportunity. It's such an opportunity when you created this world that like it feels like we're getting closer and closer to to not tell the story of how it's systemically um like it's bad for June in the in the show, but like it's even worse for indigenous, black, non-binary, queer women. And you, you get fragments of that on the show, but not enough. So this in the to the hope is that if you don't center, the hope is to not center Handmaid's Tale because it centers white women. And we have to be looking at this as like anyone, not just women, but trans um, men and non-binary folk and intersex folk who are also being impacted by not having the ability to access a legal abortion.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, Handmaid's Tale is a work of fiction. And we are living in a really crazy reality right now. So it's, you know, it's important not to get, nobody's dismissing Margaret Atwood's books. It's not a, it's, of course, it's a great work of literature, but Mm -hmm. we have to remember that we are living in a reality and we have to focus our efforts in that reality by not referring to works of fiction too much. Um, What about uh, organizations? uh, Are there organizations that you recommend people can help, support, volunteer with?
0: Yeah, in Canada, my one of my favorite orgs is Action Canada. Um, they focus around sexual and reproductive rights. Um, but in the states, uh, an organization that is already doing a lot of the work that you know these TikToks that you created, that a lot of people have been creating around you know camping and coming like up north to do stuff. They created these networks and these really cool plans on how you can still access a legal abortion, a safe abortion. Um, in the states, even though their rights are being stripped. Um, one of the ones that we came across was Mayday Health. Um, yeah. And it sort of coordinates how to access um, abortion pills, as well as support on how to get, like, it, like without having to move and, like, go to another state, which is not always accessible financially, right? So um, that's where I would, like, look to see on their website, are they accepting donors? Um, are there ways to support that? Like, this is work that's, Predates this over like this overturning, um, and they've got the infrastructure to really sustainably do this work, um, which is you know what we want as we organize and create movements to fix this and like you know reinstate women as uh, equal citizens.
1: So I want people to be able to follow along with you because you are sharing amazing information. I'm obsessed with your page, your social page. I really love how you give actionable steps for people to follow because I, I think that many of us just feel helpless in this chaotic world. And I really love how you lay out steps for a lot of social injustice issues, not just this, but a lot of other things. So if you could please share websites, social channels with people, that would be great.
0: We're best viewed on Instagram. Um, so that's at OnCanadaProject, um, which is also our Twitter handle. Our website is OnCanadaProject.ca. We do have a blog there with some of our like best posts, including the one that we were talking about. And on that website, we also have a page called Find Your Rep, which if you scroll down on it, it'll help you figure out um, who your elected official is. And it'll give you a template on what to email them about abortion access in Canada um which again like we're not mo- uh, experts are saying don't push for um legislation instead push for healthcare to be expanded and accessible in this country um because abortion is healthcare so uh that's where that's where I tell people to go and to to, to join us in, in engaging in these conversations because each and every one of us deserve to be at the table and to deserve to have the information needed to make decisions and to take action it has to stop happening in elite like little you know groups and instead be accessible to everyone
1: that's what a democracy is so samantha thank you so much for joining me today this was fabulous i hope people go and check out your your page and all your social channels and i am positive i'm going to have you back on the show again someday
2: We're still together, still going
1: Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody, and this week we're going to start off a little bit different uh, with a couple of things I think a lot of people got into in the pandemic, which is gardening
3: and baking. <laughs> no kidding, Candace. Honestly, I th- people were constantly posting their shots of their bakes. And I think part of that lands at the feet of the great British baking show, uh, which is on um, CBC uh, for in its 12th season. That's how popular it is. Um, and it's Paul Hollywood Prue Leith. And they are superstars with comedians, Noel Fielding and Matt Lucas. But the great thing is that they have these bakers and they're eliminated one a week doing these incredible items. And I I was struck by malt loaf on the episode that I saw, which I hadn't really heard of. And it's something that has to age and it's made of um, ingredients. You can actually, you can survive if you go away and you take malt loaf with, you can live on it. So that was pretty interesting. And also Gardener's World with Monty Don, who's a very well-known gardening expert. He centers this particular series on Brickbox at his home, I can't believe his garden. It's spectacular. So he goes through lessons on gardening, the most basic stuff up to sophisticated things. And I've been gardening for 35 years and I'm learning so much from it. And I take notes watching um, and he does it. It airs in Britain each week. And so each week addresses what needs to be done in the garden at that specific time because it's all about timing with gardening. So it's a bit different, but I think you can tailor it in what you choose, which episodes you choose. So I'm so pleased that we can say that these shows are here because they're just grand.
1: And I have a question about The Baking Show, actually. I've, I've not watched it. So, I mean, I have seen, though, some baking shows. Like, there's one on Netflix right now. I believe it's called Is It Cake?, and i mean it's
3: ridiculous I mean, well, because you never actually to do this you're not going to do it at home no and also <laughs> i i don't really like the the battling kind of competition on on baking shows this is not battle this is really good basic solid information the hosts are fantastic they're funny and caring and all these people seem to love each other by the end of their their episodes it's a totally different kettle of fish so there you go <laughs> Love it. All right. What else do you got for us this week? Okay. There's something really unusual that I, I highly recommend called Neptune Frost. It's an Afrofuturist sci-fi musical. And believe it or not, it's produced by Ezra Miller, who's in so much trouble with the law these days, and Lin-Manuel Miranda, the Broadway musical genius. So it's set in Burundi and Rwanda. And it's a collective of Zoltan farmer, uh, miners and high tech people. They live out in the woods, but they, they're a community of hackers and it's the strangest thing to watch. It's something totally different to our eyes and it's so deep and it, it covers psychology, sexuality, um, memory, uh, it, it, it's hard to describe and I, I I'm having trouble and it's quite ecstatic. That's the word that I want. It's ecstatic. And it's a humanist ideology. So Neptune frost, if you get the chance to see it, the, the trailer won't sell you on it. Seeing it is an experience and it's a, So where can we, ca- where can we catch it then? It's, it's in theaters and draw to it's a review.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, so, there's
3: a couple of others. There's Dreaming Walls,
1: um, Blackbird, and SkyMed.
3: Yes. Uh, SkyMed is a brand new series on CBC, CBC Jam in collaboration with CBS in the States. And it's terrific. It's a bunch of young kids in northern uh, Manitoba, and they are healthcare workers who go to the, where they need to go by plane. Because it's so remote and healthcare is so hard come by up there, so these kids are so dedicated and devoted. They go to the strangest accidents and illnesses, and <laughs> you learn a lot. And of course, it's a bit of a soap opera too, because they all all these guys and girls sh- uh, share of this one house. Um, but it's really interesting, and it shows you a great deal about the po- the First Nations populations who've lived up there with so little. Um, modern technology, and how these kids really work so hard, and they compete with one another to to do better and better, which is really nice. And I have an interview on the website, so be sure and see that. I do want to mention apples quickly. It's a um, a feature about a, a pandemic of amnesia, and the only uh, constant in this one fellow's life is his love of apples. And he's given tasks in a memory rehab lab. His family's forgotten that he exists. They haven't come to find it because they have this disease too. So they put him through all these challenges, and it really makes you wonder. You know, is that a possibility in our future? A memory pandemic? Law? A memory loss pandemic? I mean, it's so scary. Brilliantly done, though.
1: I think I think it's our reality, but I'm not even going to get into that right now. Oh dear. Uh, let's. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just move on. And uh, so over on what she said talk.com, then you have your thoughts on Dreaming Walls and Blackbird. Correct.
3: Right. And a so few others as things. well. So fantastic.
1: Over. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Ann. We'll see you next we'll week. We'll see you next week. I'm so
0: glad we made it. Look how far we've come.
2: Out.
1: This May, Connie Walker came upon a story about her late father she'd never heard before. One night back in the late 1970s, while he was working as an officer in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, he pulled over a suspected drunk driver. He walked up to the vehicle and came face-to-face with a ghost from his past, a residential school priest. What happened on the road that night set in motion an investigation that would send Connie deep into her own past, trying to uncover the secrets of her family and the legacy of trauma passed down through the generations. In Stolen, Surviving St. Michael's, a Spotify original podcast, Connie unearths how her family's story fits into one of Canada's darkest chapters, the residential school system. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to What She Said, Connie.
4: Thank you so much for having me, Candace.
1: It's a pleasure to have you here. I, I, you know, I was reading about, reading into your story prior to this, and, and you have focused on the plight of women and Indigenous people for several years, but this particular project, this must have been an intensely personal journey for you, was it?
4: Yeah, it definitely was. It, it was, um, you know, it was really difficult in a lot of ways, you know, I was trying to, to learn about my dad and trying to, to get to know him better. Um, and he passed away in 2013. So I really, I had to rely on my family. You know, I interviewed my dad's brothers and sisters and my brothers and sisters and, and really trying to, um, understand what happened to my dad at that residential school in Saskatchewan. Um, and, and, you know, I think for me, a big a big part of how I'm able to do this kind of reporting um, anyway, you know, whether it's a personal story or not, is the investigative element in it. And so we were we were trying to, to learn about my dad and his experience. He went to a residential school in Saskatchewan. But, you know, I think the investigation was really such a, a driving force through all of this for me. So we were also looking to see if we could find um, the priest who abused my dad at residential school. Because in that Facebook post um, that my brother shared a year ago, you know, he revealed that that my dad uh, had pulled over the priest who abused him when he was in the RCMP. Um, and, and when I heard that story, you know, th- there were so many things that, that I thought of. You know, I thought of my dad as a boy you know, he was six years old when he went to that residential school, like so many of his siblings were six years old. And, you know, I have a 10 year old. Um, it's it's just unimaginable to to think of having to, you know, drop your kids off at a school in the care of, of priests and nuns. Um, it, and, and I wanted to, you know, understand what that was like for him at the school. But then I also wondered, you know, we've I've heard a lot about residential schools in the last few years, especially. I covered the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I went to the final event. I've heard from survivors about their experiences, but I've never connected the dots in my own family. And that was just such a, it's been a harrowing journey, but it's also honestly like, it's been such a gift in so many ways. And, and I'm so grateful to have been able to do it. Did you speak to, were you able to find other
1: survivors from from that school? And, and were you able to speak with any of the priests or any of the administration from the school?
4: Yeah, well, our, our first kind of task was to talk to my dad's brothers and sisters. He's one of 15 kids who went to that school. Um, all of them, you know, or most of them when they were six years old uh, as native Cree speakers, not knowing any English when they arrived at the school. Um, and, and then we realized, you know, um, you know, it wasn't just my dad who experienced abuse at the school that, that two of his brothers, uh, also were abused by And they said they were, uh, they accused the same priest of abusing them. And he, he still alive. He is living in Alberta. So, you know, we went to talk to him and that's, um, in an episode, episode six of the podcast, we we have this conversation with this Oblate priest who was at the school. And it was really, you know, after talking to my dad's brothers and sisters about their experiences and hearing about this priest and starting to do research about the Oblates who ran the school, that so Catholic order of priests who were, were in charge of the school for, you know, almost 80 years, um, that we decided to expand our investigation. And we tried to talk to as many survivors as we could And we ended up speaking to 28 survivors of St. Michael's and hearing, you know, they, they, they went to the school in different decades, but most of them, I think from the seventies or from the fifties to the seventies, um, and, and we ended up really feeling like we got a sense through their memories and through their voices of what life was like for children at the school. And that is, you know, actually, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were trying to amplify the voices, voices of survivors. You know, this for so many years, they've been carrying these stories and really have been gaslit in a way. You know, people haven't believed them. People still are not believing what they have, what they went through. Um, and we wanted to give them space to tell their own stories. And so we. Episode four is essentially that, you know, it's it's non-narrated. We we essentially say we want to hear from survivors. We want to learn from survivors. So we give them the episode t- to tell their stories. And it's it was it's a it's an incredible episode, I think, and so important for people to bear witness to to what they shared with us. You know, it feels like a, a real privilege and a responsibility to have heard those stories about what they endured as children. Um, But it also made us realize that, you know, this goes beyond my dad and his family that, you know, and we wanted to try to document just how widespread was the abuse at this one school? Like, is there a way for us to find out? And the truth is that that information is known, that that the government um, knows exactly how many people from that school say they were abused sexually or severely physically abused. Um, But but primarily sexually abused. Um, And they also know the names of the alleged uh, perpetrators, the people who are accused of doing this abuse, because um, because after the residential school settlement was negotiated in in 2006, there was this process within it called the independent assessment process, where former students and survivors could apply for compensation for the abuse they experienced. But what they had to do to, in order to be compensated was to, to tell their story in, in incredibly graphic detail, the exact kind of abuse they experienced, exactly what happened to them, and name their alleged abusers. And the government hired um, private investigators to track down these alleged abusers. Um, you know, we talked to a few of them, these, these private investigators who were looking for form, like priests and nuns and former staff and, and even sometimes students, former students, um to track them down as part of this IAP process um but it, even though it was an adjudicated process and it was run by lawyers and and the, the the adjudicator um was often a lawyer as well um it was not a criminal proceeding they were tracking them down just to invite them to participate in the process so so as part of that you know we the government has a list of like all of these people of interest that were named through the IAP and they know exactly how many students from St Michael's um, were not only you know not only said they were abused but were found to be credible allegations of abuse and 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 they were compensated and so we knew that the government had this information we knew that it existed and we wondered how we could get our hands on it we wanted to see if we could find out you know exactly how many people, we're abusing kids at St. Michael's in the years my dad was there or in previous years. And, you know, I work with this really incredibly talented team. Um, and one of our reporters, Chantelle Belrichard had an idea about how we could get that information. And, and as I said earlier, like, I, I feel like, you know, for us, the, as journalists, the, the way uh, through some of this, um, you know, really difficult subject matter sometimes is to think about the public value of it. Like, you know, that's our job is to try to inform the public and help them understand the truth. And and that was such a motivating factor for us in this, in this work. And we ended up getting access to um, court documents um, that were, you know, nearly 5,000 lawsuits that were filed by students of St. Michael's only, like of this one school um, that that found 45, that named 45 adults at the school who were accused of sexually abusing children. So priests, nuns, and staff members, and we know their names. And in one of the episodes, we say all of their names. And we, um, you know, one nun had 34 allegations of sexual abuse against her. She was, you know, uh, she was at the school for 40 years and we found that she was accused of sexual abuse by 34 kids. And I, and I think it's so important to dive deep into one school because then, you know, you can understand. But also then you think about that was one school of a of 100 schools that were, were open across the country.
1: Such an incredibly dark and disturbing chapter of our history. Um, it needs to be heard. People need to listen. And I really want people to be able to find this podcast. Uh, but also keep up with you because... You just keep telling these stories and and you're incredible. So I want people to be able to find you and just stay on top of what you're doing. What are you doing next? What is next for you?
4: I might sleep in a little bit. I might try to like (laughs) relax for a little bit. Um, Good for you. My daughter wants wants me to do a kids podcast next. So I'm going to seriously consider that um yeah no it, yeah but also i i to say on this the story you know we're so invested in, and hopefully we'll have some bonus episodes coming up but uh, we will definitely keep you posted and um the show is available on spotify exclusively on spotify so it's called stolen surviving saint michael's and i'm on all of the social things okay what's you your handle find? then At connie underscore walker
1: wonderful all right connie thank you so much for joining me today i i really value the time you spent with me here It's not always easy to find bright spots during this pandemic, but I think most will agree that as a society, we have found a new appreciation for the outdoors and nature. Lauren Yakichuk started her hiking blog, Ontario Hiking, at the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. Through Ontario Hiking, Lauren hosts quarterly hiking challenges, group hiking trips, and has amassed a whopping 86,000 members in her Facebook community. She joins me now to share five hiking spots you need to explore in Ontario this summer. Welcome to What She Said, Lauren.
5: Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk all things hiking.
1: (laughs) You know, I have watched your group just explode since the very beginning. I think I was one of the first members in in your group, and I have just loved seeing it snowball into this incredibly um, amazing community. So, Tell me about these hiking spots that you recommend for people um, and maybe why you recommend them. We'll start with the Bruce Trail.
5: Yeah, so the Bruce Trail is this amazing trail we have in Ontario. And not a lot of people know about it if you're not really into hiking. It's 900 kilometers long, expands from Niagara all the way up to Tobermory. So if you live in southern Ontario in the Toronto area, Hamilton, going all the way up north, chances are you live close to the Bruce Trail. Um, Some people who are really adventurous attempt to hike the whole thing eventually, so they'll do it in chunks, they'll do little bits, they'll keep track of their hikes. But I think anyone can do parts of the Bruce Trail that live close to it. Just, you know, look up the map and tackle part of it. Um, You might find a conservation area that has the Bruce Trail running through it, and there's all kinds of little gems to find on this trail.
1: 900 kilometers is huge. Have you done most of this trail or have you attempted to do the entire thing? Yeah, I'm like attempting
5: to do the whole thing. I have been for a number of years, but I'm taking it super, super slowly. So I've almost done all the Niagara sections. So that's between Niagara and all the way up to Grimsby area. So I'm just about done that. But I've done like numerous other sections and other conservation areas and places all along Bruce.
1: Okay. The next one you have listed here is called The Crack. I've actually <laughs> never heard of this. I love the name, so I want to know more. Tell me where it is yeah. and uh, and why is it so great? The Crack is
5: one of the best trails in Ontario for sure. It's at Killarney Provincial Park. Um, so you just drive up towards like Sudbury Way and down to Killarney. Um, the park is amazing. It has so many different trails, but The Crack is the most famous trail. So you basically hike along this trail for a while. And at the end of it, you almost like scale some rocks, which sounds a little bit intimidating, but it's really not too bad. Like I've seen people with younger kids and even their dogs go up. And once you get to the very top, there's just incredible views of all kinds of lakes. And it's just like really, really beautiful. It's kind of what you imagine Canada's beauty to look like. So that's probably one of my favorite trails in Ontario.
1: Okay. Love it. And Island Lake Conservation Area, that's near Orangeville. So tell me about that.
5: Yeah. So I I think this one's great because I think anyone, just about anyone can do this trail. It's a big loop that goes around a lake, which, you know, Island Lake Conservation Area makes sense. Um, It's a pretty flat path. Most of it is really accessible. So you can like wheelchair users or people with strollers can go on this trail. Um, People who ride bikes often do this trail. But it's really just really really pretty the whole way
1: around. So it's another little hidden gem in Ontario. Now you mentioned one in Niagara Falls, and this one actually it didn't surprise me. But it's just when I think of Niagara Falls, I think the falls, and you know um, the hill. The hill. What's the hill called? Uh, Clifton Hill. Where all the. Thank you, <laughs> Clifton Hill. And so I never really. I mean, I realize it's a draw for nature, but I never think of hiking there. So what can you see on that path?
5: Yeah, so definitely head a little bit further down the Niagara River and you'll find Niagara Glen. So it's a gorge that you hike down into. So you'll hike down a metal staircase to get into the gorge. And then you'll just descend down these trails right down to the Niagara River. You'll be able to see the kind of the rapids rushing by. The waters are really turquoise and really pretty. Um, There's also really big boulders there. People will do bouldering on the rocks. that's a little bit adventurous for me. I've never attempted that. I'm more of a hiker myself. Um, but there's all kinds of adventures in that area. So, you know, go check out the falls, you know, do Clifton Hill and all that stuff. But then go to Niagara Glen for a hike.
1: Okay. And the last one you have is Dundas Valley. Yes.
5: So I'm originally from Dundas. So I have to represent Dundas. <laughs> um, Dundas Valley Conservation Area is a place I've been hiking growing up. I've always loved it. Um, there's some unique finds on the trail. So there's some old ruins that are reported to be haunted. Um, I've never seen any haunted sightings there myself, but you never know. Um, and then there's an old Victorian train station there as well. So there's like kind of an old train caboose. And um, then there's just tons of beautiful trails in the forest. I, I've always loved hiking there.
1: Amazing. So I have to ask Lauren, were you surprised by um, the growth of your community?
5: Um, I was surprised, but then I almost wasn't surprised too. Just during the pandemic, um, I started it right in March of 2020, the blog, just because I'm a blogger and I knew I wasn't going to be able to write about travel. So hiking, I always loved hiking. So I started the site and then I started the Facebook group to go along with it. And it kind of just snowballed from there. People who had never even gone hiking before discovered it during the pandemic as something that they could do, something that would add something like, nice to their lives basically during a time where we couldn't really go out and do anything and i've had so many people come to me and say like this helped them so much during the pandemic just having the group and having the community and the support and discovering new places to hike through the group places that were in their own backyard that they never even knew were there so i i'm just really grateful for it
1: i am i am just so this is one of the bright spots for me seeing the the this community build and seeing people get out into nature i just love it so i want people to be able to find you where can they do that lauren
5: yeah so i'm everywhere online at ontario hiking so the blog is ontariohiking.com on instagram and facebook um, ontario hiking and then the group is also called ontario hiking so it's really really easy to find on facebook
1: incredible amazing thank you so much for joining me today i hope people get out and enjoy some of these trails
5: thanks so much
1: If you're confused and frustrated with the state of your finances right now, you're not alone. Thankfully, Stephanie Chabot from the Finance Diaries is here to help. The purpose of the Finance Diaries is to make finance topics more bite-sized, understandable, and less scary. By being able to openly discuss finance topics, we understand them better, we avoid mistakes others have made, and we feel more empowered, which helps make us make better decisions, and we continue to grow. Stephanie is here today to help dial back the fear and make this a more accessible topic for all. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to see you again. It feels like every time I tune into any social media platform, there is finance advice being thrown at me. Put your money in crypto, invest in this, buy real estate, do this. And it's really overwhelming. So let's just kind of claw this back to the basics? What's the first thing people should really be thinking about when it comes to their finances, especially right now?
6: I think that one of the things that we need to always remember is that with finances especially, it's always a learning journey. I'm always learning even though I consider myself an expert in a lot of topics. And I think that learning and just starting with that first step is the most important thing to do. Because everything, as you're mentioning, it's Flying at you all the time. We have no idea what is an NFT? What is crypto? What is the best stock at the moment? How do you even buy a stock? And the reason that we get so afraid of our finances is because we don't really understand all these components. And it's so important to just start with that first little step. And I think that that first step is so intimidating and scary that instead people come to resent their finances make decisions that aren't really good for them, like taking out a payday loan or something like that. But who's out there telling you that a payday loan is bad? Who's out there telling you that uh, you should only be paying the minimum payment back on your student debt? There's really no one that's saying that you should do these things, but because they're so accessible and it's just presented in front of you, and we didn't take the moment to learn more about it, and we end up making the wrong decisions. And it's really
1: unfortunate because there is a lot of info out there. So you say mindset is key. Why is that so important? I think that between
6: the people that I coach um, and the people that don't really continue on with coaching, I can know within five minutes of talking to someone about their potential for financial success. And I think this applies to anything in life, but especially finance, is that there are two different mindsets. There's Let's say, for example, uh, you see someone who, on your Instagram page, has a really successful business and just maybe bought themselves a boat. And instead of looking at that boat and saying, "Wow, I'm jealous! Must be must be nice! They must have rich parents or something like that," saying, "Wow, I wonder how they managed to buy this boat. I wonder what goes behind it." And that curiosity and that desire to know more. That is the mindset that gets you successful in finances. The bitterness and the anger and the resentment, unfortunately, that's a wholly different mindset. And unless we shift out of that, we're never really going to be financially successful. We're always going to blame it on some other reason that we can't be successful. But I always say that there's enough of the pie for everyone. There's no limited amount of of knowledge, of money, of assets that you can acquire. You're entirely subject to your own mindset and your ability to reach whatever you want is possible. You just need to start having that hunger to learn, doing the things, making the
1: mistakes, learning lessons, and that's how we grow. And you're right. That is applicable to just about everything in life. Uh, so let's talk about the numbers though and sticking to the numbers because we only have a couple of minutes left. So. Um, I think that's the, the one we most get hung up on is sticking with the numbers and knowing our numbers. I think a lot of people are, don't really know the numbers.
6: I think that is a very valid point because people don't always take the time to analyze something. If I'm buying a pair of shorts or I'm going out uh, for drinks and food, what does this really mean to what I'm trying to accomplish? When we have goals in mind, let's say we want to buy a house, we want to buy a car, we want to do whatever, we need to remember to break it down and always focus on those numbers. Don't go crazy in a bidding war just because you want a house. If the numbers don't make sense, don't make that offer. We always need to remember and focus on what it does at the end of the day to our long-term goal planning.
1: Okay. And so the one thing you do say here that I like is you say, look you are the average of the five closest people. So, when it comes to finances and finding people to to look at, who do you look to? Who are the experts that you sort of uh, you know rely on? So, one
6: of the things that I realized where I'm at with my real estate investing journey is that there are not really necessarily mentors that I'm aware of that do what I do in Canada. There's a lot of American ones, um, but. At one point, I realized that my friends were not necessarily going to be the same people doing what I wanted to do. And I looked online on social media and started finding people that way. Um, It's hard to align ourselves perfectly with all of our friends that we're friends with. But the circle that you choose to surround yourself with does determine your success and your ability for success. So if your friends are not motivated, they're lazy, they're not doing much, then that's going to be a reflection of you because this is a real concept that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with.
1: Great, so I want people to be able to surround themselves with you and others like (laughs) you on social media. So where can people find you? Because I always do like the advice you give. It's simple, it's straightforward, and it's not complicated. And I think that's what we all need right now is less complicated, more solid advice. So if you could just share your social channels with everybody, that'd be great. So I am present on Twitter. I'm on Instagram
6: where you'll find me with reels and stuff. So uh, also on TikTok. And all of these handles are the finance diaries. So you can find me that way. Okay. Stephanie,
1: thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 1059 The Region.